Well, I'd like to do something a little different today. I'm going to actually sit on this stool while I talk with you today. I don't normally do that, so if you're a first-timer today, I don't normally do this. But um, we're, the next three weeks, we're taking a little break before we start the Ecclesiastes series. We just finished studying Jesus in the Old Testament. And we want to take time these next three Sundays to just refresh our vision as a church as far as where we understand God wanting to take us. And so today I'm going to be talking to you about what we call H3 of hungry, humble, and hospitable. And then next Sunday, Steve is going to talk to you about fighting shallow Christianity, the other half of uh, the mission and vision statement we have as a church. And uh, then uh, two weeks from today, Pastor Brian Schwarberg is going to be back from his sabbatical, and he's going to be sharing uh, some of what he's been learning on sabbatical. Um, I, just to tell you, too, that's when he's going to be able to officially start full-time as our outreach pastor. And so we're thankful that in the days ahead, we're going to be able to care about people beyond our walls, both locally and internationally, like never before. That's our hope. And so we're talking about some of those things these days. So I kind of want to have kind of a family conversation with you about where we feel like God is calling us to with this H3 idea. And um, so that's one reason I'm sitting down this way today. Um, but let me just tell you a quick story uh, to start this off. 16 years ago, this month, um, I was in a car with a couple of our church leaders from Cherry Hills, and we were on our way back to Springfield from a conference up in Chicago, a leadership conference. And um, I had been the senior pastor at that time for about two and a half years here uh, in Springfield. And uh, these two guys asked me a question that a number of the other church leaders at Cherry Hills had asked me too, and I just was frustrated because I didn't know how to answer. But here's the question. They said, okay, Jeff, where are we going? And I knew what they meant. I knew they meant, like, where are we going as a church? Where do you see God leading us? What's the direction? You know, you've heard this before. Without a vision, the people perish. I mean, it's aimless. There's not the clear direction. And so I finally, in just total exasperation, said, okay, you want to know what my vision for Cherry Hills is? Can you picture a computer monitor? They said, we can't. I said, can you picture a computer monitor on? They said, we can't. I said, now picture nothing on the screen. I said, that's my vision for Cherry Hills. <laughs> and I wasn't trying to be funny. I, I read books about church vision. I prayed. I was asking God. But honestly, I, I didn't know what to say. And I could just see that the leaders were going, like, bummer to have you as a leader, Jeff. <laughs> And I felt it. I mean, I felt that. I was, God, what do you want us to know? And, and, uh, but in time, the computer, the computer monitor went on. And God did start showing me, and not only me, but other leaders in our church, some things as far as what, what needs to be important. What, it, what kind of church are we going to be? And so today, I want to talk to you about part of what God's showing us. And um, I'm conscious that it takes time for these things to soak in and become part of us. So I just want to, again, refresh this today in the hopes that this can become more and more a part of us in the days and months ahead. 
But um, I want to make sure I tell you that I have a very clear assumption I'm making. And if you're following along in the notes, again, we are going to use notes today, but here's the first thing I want you to see is that Jesus loves and promises to build his church. Jesus loves and promises to build his church. Um, when we talk about a, a church's vision, I know that for some of you, you're going, well, that's, that's not a big deal because I don't think church is a big deal. And all I want to say is this, is that God over time has just been changing my whole mind about that because and when I start reading the scriptures, I realize there's no way to be a solo Christian and do what God intended. While he cares about each one of us individually, his goal was always to make us a people of his very own. The Bible says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. He had in mind, that was his dream. And Titus 2.14 says that he gave himself, you know, his death, his sacrificial death, he gave himself to redeem and purify for himself a people who are his very own. So as we think about that, that's why he said to Peter one day, I am going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But in the United States, we talk about going to church instead of being the church. And Jesus has a bigger dream for us. He wants us to be part of something that's bigger than just us individually. So because he loves his church and he wants to build his church, we need to know what is he up to? What does he want us to understand? Well, first of all, every church Every local church in the world has the same mission in one sense. So if you're following along, here's what every church mission is. To be and make disciples with Jesus. To be and make disciples with Jesus. That's what he actually said. Now, some of you are used to me normally starting out a message by saying, please open your Bible. And I didn't ask you to do that today, not because I don't want you to open your Bible, but because I'm going to actually look at a number of different passages. I said in the other two services, if it makes you feel better, you can turn to Matthew 28, but I'm actually going to ask you to read it from the message paraphrase in the notes. Because this is the great commission that Jesus gave his disciples, and he had in mind something that would reach every continent and that's why we're sitting here in Springfield, Illinois, talking about this today, because he took it seriously. So here it is. If you're looking in the first gray box there, here's Matthew 28, uh, verses 19 and 20 in the message paraphrase. Would you read it with me, full voice? Jesus gave his charge. Go out and train everyone you meet, far and near, in this way of life. I will be with you as you do this, day after day after day, right up to the end of the age. And so when we use words like disciple, I know sometimes we may not know what that means. Sometimes we say, I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm a believer of Jesus, I'm a Christian, whatever. But Jesus said, go and make disciples. Not church attenders, not nominal Christians, but go and make disciples. What's a disciple? Well, simple meaning. Sometimes we make it too hard. Here's what a disciple is. A disciple is a learner who fully adopts their teacher's way by being with them. So when we think about the early disciples, they spent three years with Jesus. And their whole goal wasn't just to learn more information. Their goal was to learn how to be like Jesus in not only what he did, but the way he did it. So that when people would see, they'd go, like, you kind of 
pray before you eat like Jesus did. You talk to people with a different tone of voice like Jesus did. You actually reach out across different lines like Jesus did. What? Is, what? And they begin to see and they wanted to learn how to be like Jesus in his way, in his spirit, in his character, in his tone. They didn't just want to learn more information and pretend to be like him. They wanted their very character to become like him. So our assignment at Cherry Hills in one sense has already been given to us and that is to make disciples. The question is, what kind of disciples are we making and are we becoming? So I wanna try and answer that question by saying that if, if you haven't already seen it before, um, if you're following along, our church's vision is to be people who choose his H3 character. To be a people who choose his H3 character. Now, I think, I, I know that there, this service, there was quite a few taken in the last two services. Does everybody have access to one of these book cards? Does everyone have one? I'm told that if you don't, there's some on these other seats. I'd love for each one of you to have one. Is, can you show me if anybody doesn't have access to that? I'd love to make sure you can get it because we'll make sure one gets past you, okay? Are we okay? Can we read it together out loud? All right? That's another reason I wanted you to have it, but there's more than that reason. So let me just read it together. We are fighting shallow Christianity by becoming H3 disciples of Jesus who are hungry, humble, and hospitable. And like I said, Steve's gonna talk more about shallow Christianity and fighting it next week. And I'm gonna talk about H3, and I know it's a little backwards, but we thought I can probably speak out of the H3 with a real passion, and Steve can speak out of the shallow Christianity with a real passion that I think will benefit us if we hear it that way. So um, let me start by saying this. You may say, okay, Jeff, does it really matter if I do or I don't wanna be a disciple like this? I mean, as long as there's a lot of people in the Cherry Hills family, right? It, it, this will still be fine. Can I tell you a question that my dad asked at the beginning of his sermon when I was a teenager? And I've never forgotten. I wrote it in the front of my Bible that day. I've never forgotten it. It said, he said this, he said, if every person in this church was to follow Jesus the way you follow Jesus, what kind of church would we be? If every person in this church followed Jesus the way you follow Jesus, what kind of church would we be? <laughs> that question nailed me to the wall. I remember thinking, it wouldn't be very healthy because I've been just messing around. At that point, I hadn't really committed my life to Christ. And nor was I interested in having the same kind of tone and spirit. And so that question reminded me of each, the responsibility of each person. I, um, I told this before, but my daughter, Natalie, our daughter, Natalie, uh, she's out of college now, but when she first started college and she was visiting other churches over at her university in Indiana, she, would, um, she came home one of those weekends and she said, Dad, I, I love coming home. I love being with the people of Cherry Hills again. And, and I said, boy, you know, that means a lot to me, obviously. I love that you love Jesus and still love our church and all that. And I said, but what is it? What, what is it you've noticed as you visit other churches? She says, well, Dad, you know, there's something about Cherry Hills that when you walk in, you can tell that people want to be here by and large. She said, I know that there's some people that aren't here because they want to be, but 
There's a lot of people that do. And you can tell, like when we sing or when we, we study the word of God together, a lot of people lean in. And she says, I think our guests can tell that too. I said, I think you're right. Now, what was she trying to describe? She was trying to describe the spirit, the culture, the tone, the character of our church. Well, where does that come from? That comes from the, each person adding up to something. So as God puts us together, and so oh, I'll tell you one more story. I, I was out in Iowa as a pastor, and I was having lunch one day with a guy, and he said, Jeff, how big do you think the core of your church is? I said, well, explain to me core. He said, I mean people that love Jesus and they give themselves both to Jesus and to the church family in all kinds of uh, ways. They're just, they're, they're on fire. They're committed, for, committed to Jesus. And I, I remember saying to him, well, there's about 250 people going to our church at that time and uh, services. And I said, I'm sure that it's at least 50. I'm trying not to over-exaggerate. But he said, well, your core determines a lot of what people experience when they walk in the doors. They set a tone. They inspire the other people that are not core and just that. And so I've thought to myself, one of the things I want to see happen at Cherry Hills is that God just keeps growing the core of this church. Uh, we need each one of us to, to say, I, I want to give myself first to Jesus and then to this church family in some way in the spirit that Jesus wants me to. And so if you're following along, let me just try and serve this up. Before we talk about the H's, let me talk to you about this, okay? Uh, if you see the second gray box, do you see that there, Acts 11? I taught on this back in November at Abundant Faith Church when I was invited to speak there. But this is a powerful passage where uh, the early church in Jerusalem, that's where the church started, that Jesus started his dream. Um, when they heard about some people that had come to know Jesus Christ up north in a town called Antioch, and they weren't even from Jewish background, they decided to send a guy named Barnabas up to check it out and make sure it was legit, that it was on track, that it really was of God. So he gets up there and Acts 11.23 tells us what he finds. Would you read it with me out loud, please? When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. Now, when he arrived, he saw something. He saw the evidence of the grace of God. What did he see? Now, that sounds kind of ethereal. What did he see? I'd like to suggest to you he saw a group of people who by and large were hungry for God, humble with one another, and hospitable to outsiders. And he could just tell, this is the grace, same grace of God that's been working in me, working in us, is working in these people. You know that God's grace does something when it works in your life. It's not just something we receive, but it becomes active in and through our lives, right? Acts 4.33 talks about this as well. It says, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. When God's grace is working, what does it produce? It produces a certain kind of tone, a certain kind of spirit in a church, a group of people. And so if you're following along, on one hand, uh, for us, H3, or hungry, humble, and hospitable, is evidence of God's grace in our church. For us, H3 is evidence of God's grace working in our church. I mean, if someone says, man, why are people in Cherry Hills family hungry or humble or hospitable when we see it? We, we have to make sure we give credit where credit's due. 
God has graciously worked something in our hearts that we could have never produced ourselves. But along with that grace, because some people go, well, I'll just let God's grace do stuff to me. It's a little bit trickier than that. And that's what this next part's about. It's like two blades of a scissors. Yet we must also train in H3 each day with Jesus, if you're following along. Yet we must also train, practice, exercise in H3 each day with Jesus. Again, maybe you've seen this verse before, but 1 Timothy 4, 7 and 8 says this. Do not waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Instead, now would you read these next five words with me out loud, please? Train yourself to be godly. In other words, let God be the center of your life. Train yourself. I mean, it's going to take some discipline. It's going to take some training. Physical training is good, it goes on to say, but training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and the life to come. So this isn't a waste of time to train in H3, but it's training each day. If we, if we decide not to do that, then it has an effect. I asked the last couple of services, how is it that someone can be part of a church like ours? And uh, after many, many years, they're still cranky, critical, angry, and contrarian. How's that happen? I mean, you've been in, a, I'm not just talking about our church, but any church. How is it possible for someone who calls himself a Christian, and yet after many, many years, they're like, uh, people are saying, I'm not sure God's grace went very far in that person's life. See? And why is it? Because many times those people did not train themselves and learn how to participate with God. And so if you're following along, here's this next idea. We'll never drift into maturity. We'll never drift into maturity. If you say, well, I'll just be a Christian for 40 years and eventually I'll just drift into being a growing Christian. Not going to happen. It will not happen. Some of us just think it's chronological. It's not true. We'll never drift in maturity. We work with God. We work with God. Now, some people go, wait a second, we don't work. The Bible clearly teaches that we have a role to play. Here's Philippians 2, 12 and 13, in fact. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That doesn't mean always afraid that God's going to slam you one. It's not being cocky. It's staying reverent before God. And then it says, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So do you see both sides, both blades there? There's something that we need to do. It, it, it involves energy and work, but it's also God working in us. So all we're doing is joining him. We're working with him. We're not the smart person that decides to do it, but when God inspires us, we join him. And so Dallas Willard has said, grace is not opposed to effort. A lot of people think this, 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 he's opposed to effort. Grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. So there is effort involved in the Christian life. You and I have to give ourselves to these very things. Otherwise, we'll drift. The natural drift for my life is nominal Christianity. In 24 hours, I can become a lukewarm Christian like that. Anybody else relate? But I have to make decisions, I have to make choices each day to join God in the direction that he's calling me to, calling me up to. So um, if you're following along, here's one more before we talk about the H's. God gives us grace to choose and grow in these three H's. 
God gives us daily grace to choose and grow in these three H's. I'll give you one more Bible verse before we go any further, and that's Ephesians 4, 2, and 3. Look at what it says. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. These are choices to make, friends. Make every effort to keep, some translations say, to maintain the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. That means that a church, God gives us a oneness, but he also says to make every effort to keep that oneness, to maintain that oneness. If you've ever seen a church where people did not make every effort to stay one, you know it can absolutely go away. God's grace still wants to work there, but people have to join them. We have to join them. So what are these three character traits that we want to talk about as a church family that can help keep us on track, that we can learn, that we can know by God's grace, and that we can train with him by his grace? Well, the first one is hungry. I know every once in a while when I ask people, I, I asked several people this week, I said, do you guys ever think about H3? And I was trying to get an idea where things were in our church, you know, if it had actually gotten very far as sticking. And so I asked several people, do you ever think about H3? And they go, nope. So I go, okay. We gotta, it takes a while for this to soak in. So when we say H3, the first word we mean is hungry. And by the way, I'm not saying H3 to be cute. I'm trying to make it more memorable and portable so that you think of three H words. The first one's hungry, okay? What's hungry mean? I don't mean, is it almost time for lunch? I mean, what I feed on and want most. When a person's hungry, you, you can point out, like, what, what, are they, what are they feeding their lives with? What do they want most? So Jesus, when he trained his disciples in hungry, uh, he used a lot of different ways to teach them this, but um, he, one day uh, he was speaking with a Samaritan woman, and, uh, which was the, the disciples couldn't understand why he was wasting their time, wasting his time doing that. So they decided to go off to town and get some food because they knew he was tired. The scripture said he was tired. He was hungry. So they went to get some food and they come back and they see him having this conversation, this life-changing conversation with this Samaritan woman. They're a little confused. And so notice what happens in Luke 4 and John 4. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? And then he says, look, this is what makes me hungry. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. I want you to be hungry for the same things. If you want to be like me, be hungry to know the Father, to do his work with him, to join him, to love his word, his works, his ways. And so Jesus said that. But he also was quick to teach that this isn't a cakewalk. Have you ever noticed that if you decide to be hungry for God and his word and his wig, that there's a lot of other things competing that you could be hungry for, hungry about? Uh, he told a parable one time that talked about this in uh, Mark 4. He talks about how the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Here's the challenge for every one of us in this room. If we don't feed ourselves with the right things, we are not going to become like Jesus. But we live in a world that's screaming for our attention and tempting us to be hungry for everything but him. And so the constant call back 
The true north for us as disciples is, is to be hungry for him, his word, and his way in our lives. And I'll talk to you a little bit more about that later, but that's that first one, okay? Second one is humble. Humble, which has to do with how I serve and take the low place. Humble has to do with how I serve and take the low place. Jesus, again, did all kinds of training on this word humble. And when I say the word humble, I know there's a lot of misunderstanding with humble. So humble sometimes is meant to some people, be a doormat. Uh, think of yourself as worthless. The Bible has nothing of that in mind. The Bible says, do not think more highly of yourself than you ought, but it also makes sure we don't think more less of ourselves than we ought. What it wants us to do is think of ourselves less. Why? Because the Lord has shown us that in him, we are secure in his Father's love if we've trusted Jesus. So the gospel, Tim Keller says, humbles us to the dust on one hand because it shows us how far we are from God and how much we've taken life into our own hands and we sinned against them. We're more sinful than we ever dared believe. But on the other hand, it exalts us to the heavens because it tells us that in Christ we can be accepted and have a new identity and have a, a, just a, a, a sense of, of real purpose in life. And so when a person has that kind of proper understanding of themselves before God and other people, they don't have to compete anymore. They don't have to like scrape and prove themselves. They can actually be different. So Jesus said this one time when he was teaching. He said this in Matthew 11. He says, take my yoke upon you. In other words, you want to be one of my disciples? Get in the yoke with me and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. He's saying, look, if you'll let me teach you this, I can actually make it where you're not striving all the time, where you're not trying to like prove yourself all the time. You'll have rest for your soul and you'll be able to be gentle and humble in heart towards other people as well. And so when he was teaching humility, the disciples, they struggled to get it. Did you know that after three years of walking with Jesus on the night before he was betrayed, on the night he was betrayed, when he had the, the last supper with them, you know what they were doing? They weren't praying. They weren't saying, oh God, we want your word, your will, and your way in our life. What they were doing was arguing over who, which one of them was the greatest. That, I'm sure that meant a lot to Jesus. He goes, man, after all this training and stuff. But he was patient. What he did is he got down and he said, okay, I'll show you the way to be humble. I'm going to wash your feet. But they never forgot that. Peter Many years later in 1 Peter 5, look at what he writes. He says, all of you, clothe yourselves. I've taught you this before, but the word clothe there means to tie on like a towel. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud, but here's hope for proud people like you and me, gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Don't be afraid of taking the low place because whoever humbles themselves will be exalted in God's eyes. That's what greatness looks like. And so he's teaching us how to be humble. I'll give you one more story. This morning, I was thinking about the movie The Black Stallion. Have you guys ever seen the movie The Black Stallion? I saw it. It came out in 1979. And uh, you know what it's about? It's about a huge, beautiful, majestic black horse. And you go, I know, Jeff. That's why they call it The Black Stallion, okay? But what happened in this movie is that they're transporting it by ship across the ocean, and there's a shipwreck. 
And the only two people that survive in this movie are the horse and a little boy. And when the little boy finally comes to on the beach, he sees and hears the pounding of this majestic animal. Over time, as they wait to be rescued, this little boy begins to learn how to relate to this horse, and this horse begins to relate to the boy. And later in the movie, you see this boy riding on this huge horse, and all he's doing is holding him by the mane. And what you see is is that the horse is willing to go left or right based on just the slight touch of the boy's hand. Why? Because the horse had come to learn that he could trust the boy, and also because the horse wanted to. Now, here's what humility looks like. Humility, the, the, the definition for meekness or humility is strength under control. You have strength, I have strength. The question is, is it under control? And learning to be a person that says, oh, Lord, I know what it's like when I'm under control of my life. I want to be so sensitive to you that you can direct me left or right, and I'll trust you because I know you have my interest in mind. The third thing, hungry, humble, the last one is hospitable. Hospitable. And hospitable has to do with how I welcome and reach out. How I welcome and reach out. You've seen this before, is is that you can tell all the difference in the atmosphere if there's a hospitable spirit or an inhospitable spirit. I hear stories regularly of people that walk into different churches and they say, no one ever talked to me. No one spoke to me. I walked in and out, and I guess they just liked being who they were, and they didn't have room for anybody else. Hospitable spirit, though, says, what can I do for you? I remember what it was like to walk into this place the first time and not know anybody. I don't want you to have to go through that or feel left out. Welcome. They reach out, make the first move, initiates. Jesus did this all the time, and he had to teach his disciples this because they didn't think like this. They thought more of my group or what I'm comfortable with. So look at Luke 15, too. Even his critics said this of Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Like, what gives? He's hospitable to the wrong people. When he was eating with this Samaritan woman, like, what are you doing? They even said to him one day, do you want us to call fire down on this village of Samaritans since most of them aren't interested in listening to you? And Jesus says, you don't even know what kind of spirit you're of. That's not, that's not me. I, I want to be more hospitable. And he said, what can I do for you to people? He reached out. He made the first move more often than not. It's amazing. So Hebrews 13.2 reminds us that we can actually get involved sometimes with angels without knowing it if we have a desire to be hospitable. So Hebrews 13.2 says, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. And so hospitality can mean opening our homes, yes, but it also can go mobile. It's something we can do. It's an attitude. It's saying, how can I think of welcoming you and reaching out to you rather than just keeping to myself? So again, so much I could talk to you about, but let me just wrap this section up with this last line. Lord, how can we practice these together as a church family? How can we practice these together as a church family? What would it look like to be hungry together? What would it look like to be humble together? What would it look like to be hospitable together? And 
I, Trish and I have discovered, um, I play tennis several times a week and Trish uh, takes classes, uh, physical exercise classes several times a week. And what we've noticed is, is that some days we don't always feel like exercising. Anybody relate to that? We've noticed, though, that if we, like, go to a place where other people may be interested in exercising, our interest in exercising goes up, not down. And in a way, part of being the body of Christ is learning how to gather together, to be hungry together, like Natalie noticed, to be humble together and to be hospitable together. Think of the reach we could have into our city if we learn how to be hospitable together and not just individually. And so how does that look? Uh, How can we take this message with us out of this room today, even if it's brand new? I have a couple suggestions as we close. How do we train in this H3 character with Jesus? The first one is this. If you would keep this vision card that we just read from earlier, if you, I hope you have one, keep the vision card where you can see and review it often, if you're following along. Keep the vision card where you can see and review it often. Now, you know this, don't you, that you can't be deeply affected by that which you don't know. So like if I don't even know the words hungry, humble, and hospitable, the chance of them going deeper into my life goes way down. But what I've noticed, you know, last year when we first introduced this, we gave out little blue cards that had hungry, humble, and hospitable H3 disciples. I've kept that right near, on my, near my bathroom sink where I brush my teeth each day. And so I've noticed that it just reminds me. And so I find myself saying, Lord, am I, am I hungry the way you want me to be? Am I humble? Am I hospitable? What do you want to say to me? And it just is a good reminder. So when I got this bookmark, obviously I got one ahead of when you did. I put it up there this weekend and I just have been finding myself thinking about that. And so that's one idea. Again, we can't be deeply influenced unless we at least have it in front of us. And maybe you want to find a place like that. Maybe you want to write these words out and just say, God, would you help me? Just let this become more a part of me. Second thing is this. And please don't put your notes away because I actually have one more thing to share with you besides what's on the front of the notes. Practice spiritual disciplines that foster an H3 spirit in tone. Practice spiritual disciplines that foster an H3 spirit in tone. Do you remember that verse that said, train yourself to be godly? practice, exercise. There's certain habits that you and I can do in the Christian life that actually let God's grace come more fully in and through our lives. They're actually graces that he gives, but they, they, they're disciplined. They're not an accident. We don't float into them. Well, if you turn your notes over on the back, I've listed just some ideas. This is an imperfect sheet of paper, but it's, it's what I call sometimes holy habits or training in H3 character. They're just some suggested disciplines. Under hungry, for instance, you'll notice that reading, meditating on, and memorizing scripture. When you and I feed, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. When you and I feed on that, that changes our character. Again, it's something that we don't do just once, but it changes us. And I'm just learning that hungry has everything to do in my life with intake. When I was a boy, NASA had this saying from their computers, GIGO, G-I-G-O, garbage in, garbage out. And the idea was if you put bad stuff into that computer, bad stuff's going to come out. You put bad stuff into your heart, mind, you know, bad stuff's going to come out. So what am I feeding my heart and my mind with? What am I watching? What am I listening to? What am I reading? 
Is it helping me be hungry for God or is it actually diminishing my hunger for God? And this is a, a real growth area for me. But I will tell you a quick story. A, a, few, a few years ago, a guy, I think he was about 79, still part of our church now, but at 79, he came up to me and he said, I'm 79. And he said, you gave a challenge. We just started coming about a year. And my wife and I took your challenge to be in the Bible every day. I'd never really, you know, done this before. Thanks for asking us. No one had ever asked me before. So he said, I just wanted to tell you, I just finished last week, the first time at 79 years old, I've been in church all my life, first time I ever read the Bible from cover to cover. Took me a while, but I did it. And he said, thank you. And I thought to myself, you're thanking me. You're hungry. That's why you did that. You really want to know the Lord. And I want to be like that at 79. I want to be like that at 9, 29, 79, right? Every age. Can you imagine our church being hungry together? Second discipline, you can see the set there. And by the way, you'll notice I have a question at the end of each three that I often ask myself. But for instance, humble. How do we practice humble? Do you ever confess when you're not humble? Do you ever confess when you've transgressed against the Lord or violated his heart? Do you ever confess to someone, hey, I didn't, like Trish and I have found, the way we can practice confession is, I just talked to you the way, I didn't talk to you the way Jesus wanted me to talk to you. Would you forgive me? See, that's a, you train yourself in that. And that helps you practice humble. Well, I could go on and on, but I'll just tell you a quick story. There's a, I, every once in a while, doesn't happen very often, I get a negative email. And uh, it happened right before I went on vacation. And so while I was on vacation, I remember one night I was laying there thinking about this. And again, the person, uh, to their credit, uh, wrote and gave me their name. And they just said, you know, I was disappointed in the way you handled this. And, um, you know, I feel like our church deserves better. And they tried, they said, I hope this doesn't sound too angry and stuff. But what, anyway, you can imagine, I, I found myself thinking about that for a while. So I thought, how do I respond to this humbly? But at the same time, what do I do? So I got the counsel of a couple other trusted leaders. And so I, I wrote back. And when I wrote back, um, I, I waited till I got back from vacation because my email said that I was going to do that when I got back. But anyway, I, uh, I got an email this week. And this person is unbelievable. They said, uh, I'm a little embarrassed about how I wrote you a few weeks ago as I looked over my former email and I was reading James 4 this week and I realized that God wanted me to be more humble in my spirit than I was when I wrote you and I, I want to ask you to forgive me. I wrote back, I, I emailed back and I said, I'm preaching this Sunday on hungry, humble and hospitable and you're living it. It changes the atmosphere, friends. The whole tone changes was humble. The third one, though, is hospitable. Hospitable. What is that? How do we do that? Well, that involves, obviously, sometimes opening our home, yes, but it has a lot more to do with listening and being mindful of sharing, of reaching out, listening and asking questions, making the first move, not waiting and just assuming someone will get along fine as they come into our church family or when we go out into the community, are we hospitable in our spirit? So this morning, I parked my car here on the edge of the parking lot, got here early, and the sheriff, one of the sheriff's vehicles was in our parking lot. They, they do that every once in a while, and I appreciate it, because their presence is, is welcome on our campus. And so I went over, and I saw this guy, and he put his window down, and I said, hi, 
Thanks so much for stopping here every once in a while. We really are grateful to you. And um, as we exchanged names and I said, my heart's really heavy for so many of you in law enforcement these days. You guys are really under it. Is it scary? And he, we talked and he said, it hasn't been so bad in this area, but obviously some of my other law enforcement officers, it's really hard in our country right now to uphold the law. I said, could I pray for you? And he said, sure. And uh, I, I just prayed a simple prayer. Lord, watch over this man and his family. Thank you for what he's doing. Help him have courage. And then I said goodbye. And as I was walking away, I thought, now why did I do that? And I thought, the only explanation is Jesus is getting to me. <laughs> I can't even take credit for that because he's trying to change the way I look at people. I want to be hospitable, don't you? And we have people in this church that really practice this both inside and outside our walls. But again, turn your notes back over if you do one more thing with me. Would you circle, would you circle a word? Would you circle the word, the last word notes that you wrote there, tone? Some people might say, well, like, I'll walk out of here. I don't, I'm not sure I want to be hungry, humble, and hospitable, like on a regular basis. Well, let me just, just remind you some. If you hang out or you meet someone who's apathetic, prideful, and inhospitable, do you enjoy their company? No, why? Because it changes the atmosphere wherever a person goes that has a character like that. But what's the atmosphere and tone wherever we go, school, work, wherever, when a person's saying, make me like you, Jesus, make me H3 like you. So here's the last confession here. I had a terrible week when it comes to H3. I thought, Lord, of all weeks to have a terrible week in H3, I gotta talk about this Sunday. Oh. And the Lord said, Jeff, I'm training you. Keep going. When you're not hungry, get back to hungry. When you're not humble, I want to bring you back to humble. When you're not hospitable, I want to bring you back to hospitable. So in the middle of the week, while I was struggling, I decided to get on my computer and just go to YouTube, and I just started listening to some songs from a church in California that's helped me grow in Christ in the last few years. And so I was listening to songs, and I came across a song entitled, I Need You More. And after we have some time of prayer, we're gonna sing that song to close. But I think you'll find that it's a great prayer that just reminds us to stay hungry. To stay hungry. I need the Lord more today than I did yesterday. And so I wanna invite you to something. Would you be willing as an individual and part of our church family, would you be willing to just freshly submit yourself to Christ in these next few moments? Would you be willing to say, oh Lord, help me walk in this direction with you. I, I submit myself to you. I want to be like that horse that you can guide, but show me how to move in this direction. I invite you to do that now.